the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, friends. This is Wendy Scott. I want you to know about my personal friend, Mark Romanowski, and his locksmith and fire door inspection business. Mark decided to sponsor Season Watch to share the great joy he's experienced since he gave his life to Jesus. He accepted the Lord later in life and hopes that you won't wait to have the same peace, too. Mark's always saying, hey, man, you just need Jesus. And that's true. So if your commercial building has fire doors, contact Mark's fire door inspection services. He can inspect and certify all your fire doors and help fix the most common problems with fire marshal inspections. Like Jesus helps us pass God's inspection for heaven. You can find Mark's services and Contact info at San Diego Fire Door Inspection.com. That's San Diego Fire Door Inspection.com. Thank you and God bless. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars because the Bible is both timely and timeless. With her master's degree in rhetoric and writing skills, Wendy is a part time college professor but a full-time truth professor. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation. The true church rapture comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ's millennial domination and His eternal kingdom with earth's regeneration. Jesus is coming without hesitation. And now, here's Wendy with today's topic. Hello, friends. Thank you for joining me again with Season Watch. I'm Wendy Scott. I'm so hoping that you all are doing well. And uh, we just continue to pray uh, for all the crazy things we see going on. We we just thank you, Jesus, that we're in your hands, that you have a good plan, that those who trust in you can trust you to turn all things to good. And we just ask you to show us the way, show us the path that you have for us. Help us to be a blessing and um Lord, heal our wounds. We have so many things that we're carrying around, um, discouragement and fear and so many things coming. And we just pray that um, we just give these things to you. We ask you to bless your people, Israel, Lord, because that's what you've asked us to do. And so we we pray for you to intervene um, on, on your own behalf, for your own glory, God, that you bring many more to know Yeshua, your son. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Hello, friends. I actually want to address a question of the recent large angry protests in America. We're kind of revisiting this from last time because I think it's important for us to uh, address this from every angle. And um, we have seen so many continue to protest, not just uh, around the world and all these places around the world, just taking over whole cities. Uh, But we're seeing these large, angry protests also in America, in our cities and our universities. And I want to consider these protests from a constitutional standpoint and if they're really appropriately tolerated by us and by our government. And so one thing America was pressured into accepting in 2020 was that if angry mobs want to fill our streets, blocking egress, threatening revolt, destroying property— and even perpetrating violence, that we were actually racist and intolerant if we did not approve or permit it. And this is a foolish decision that I believe was used to intimidate and train America to stand by silently while injustice and chaos rules over our streets. And isn't that what we see 
coming in the Bible, the warning of chaos and uh, uprisings and and all sorts of lawlessness. And that's what we're seeing. So it's not a surprise. Um, and so we do. We do tolerate these things now. But from a legal standpoint, in light of our nation's value for free speech, many question whether anything can be done to tame these chaotic disruptions. Let's consider a few things from a purely legal and rational standpoint for a minute. And we'll just look at it aside from our biblical consideration for Israel, which we discussed last week. Um, these angry anti-Israeli, anti-Jewish, pro-Hamas protests and acts are not constitutionally protected. And so let's first view our Declaration of Independence, the creed to which we vow our allegiance for individual freedom and for the value of each individual. And so let's re- we like to read that. Let's remember It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. All right. And so we see that all have the right to life, liberty, and interestingly, the pursuit of happiness. What a broad, beautiful description of an individual life. And that the purpose of government is to secure these rights to life, to liberty, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness, to pursue our own way. And these principles are the lens through which we interpret the intent of the Constitution. We also want to look at the preamble of the Constitution to help us understand how to interpret it and the the principles enshrined in the Constitution. And so it begins, if you know Schoolhouse Rock, you can sing along with me. Um, We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure, here we go, the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. And so between these two foundational documents, we see a clear priority to secure the rights of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right, and to establish justice in the land and ensure domestic tranquility and to promote the general welfare. So these this is the lens for which we interpret the gifts of the constitution, the rights and also the the formation of the branches of the governments and their priorities. Through this lens, this is their job. And so in order for the government um, that's called to represent all people and to defend all people to secure the rights of all the people in order to pursue their own lives, right? They must ensure domestic tranquility and prevent one group's rights from infringing on or imposing on or taking away from another group's rights. So these are the rights we're looking at. And so what are we seeing? Are we seeing domestic tranquility, the rights of the people to freely go about their lives without being threatened, tracked down, doxxed, bullied, their lives, person and property under threat? Is this equal protection? Of rights. And so does the right to express my opinion allow me to infringe on the rights of others to safely live and move and pursue happiness? You see that? And that's not what we're seeing. Um, is what is meant by domestic tranquility, common sense, and justice? Are we seeing this? 
is justice to say to one group, lay down your very life to be trampled on in the name of free speech. Does that sound like justice? So let's look at the First Amendment, and we'll decide also. First Amendment, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech. So you can't limit someone's speech, all right? But we do have exceptions, right? Or, here's the key, the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. And so uh, we see there is a clear distinction that in addition to free speech, right here in the First Amendment, we see we must peaceably assemble. That's the condition. That's why we take out permits. That's why we ask for permission, right? And this would include all manner of violence, threats, property damage, intimidation, prohibiting free egress through the area or people to walk around freely without being accosted, on and on and on, all these things. These are the conditions of free speech and for protesting, that they're peaceable, all right, and that they don't infringe upon the rights of others to freely move about, to freely experience their own rights and their own forward movement, their own liberty. And so these protests clearly cross the line and can be clearly seen as non-peaceful and prohibiting the freedom of others. And let's also look at the 14th Amendment, which is a little interesting. 14th Amendment, no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. And so if you're observant, we see a hypocritical application of protections under the law, both in the cities and in the universities. Uh, trust me, I work at a university. You can get in a lot of trouble if you, you know, infringe upon, just with your speech, infringe upon or make somebody feel bad about themselves in the prescribed way right now. Uh, but not apparently if you're Jewish, you can say what you want, do what you want. You can track them down, go follow them back to the dorm room. You can put a swastika on their dorm room and you can knock them over and you can shout at them and threaten them and you can say all Jews need to die and we need to gas all the Jews. You can do all of that apparently on a university campus now. Uh, do you see the hypocrisy? And so you cannot deny to any person within the jurisdiction equal protection of the laws. You have to apply it equally. And it's clear that the safety and rights of Jewish citizens must be subverted right now to the woke anger expressions of hate, a condition that would not be tolerated for any other group. So we see legally there's no basis for allowing this to simmer and continue and to boil over and to threaten and oppress uh, this group of people. Now let's look at another section of the Constitution, it's kind of interesting, which helps us to interpret the just way to handle calls for the eradication of the Jews and to support for the terrorism and organization perpetrating the genocide. And we look at, uh, in the Constitution, Article 3, Section 3, it describes that treason against the United States shall consist only in levying of war against the United States or in adhering to the United States enemies, enemies of the United States, or giving enemies of the United States aid and comfort. That's considered treason, giving to the enemies of the United States aid and comfort. And yet not only has the world violated its pledge to prosecute genocide around the world, wherever genocide pops up its ugly head, the world, through the UN Charter for uh, 1949 Charter Against Genocide, they have pledged to prosecute genocide and those who promote it. But uh, our own nation has literally given aid and comfort to a self-declared 
enemy, an enemy that says it hates the United States, an enemy of terror that hates the United States just as much as the Islamic State. And we've sent aid to a terrorist organization as they overtly control all that comes into Gaza. We know this, and we're sending it to them anyway. We have no way of controlling because there's nobody in there stopping them taking it right out of the trucks. And we have all kinds of information of all kinds of even weapons going through there because the United States insisted on shipping in aid and giving money to this group. They're the government of, of Gaza. That's giving aid and comfort to the enemy, and yet we're doing it. And these terrorists, you have to understand, killed and kidnapped Americans. Have we forgotten that? Guess what? That's an enemy. That's an enemy. And all over, the cities and universities are chants not only for Palestine, but aiding and comforting Hamas and excusing what they did and calling for Israel to be wiped off the map as they continue to chant the terrorist organization's chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. That's what's happening all over our cities and universities. That's aid and comfort to the enemy. And you wonder why no one cares about those citizens killed or kidnapped? It's probably because most of them were also Jewish. So we don't care about them. Oh, they were American, but they were Jews, right? So uh, let's be honest. They don't really matter. And that's probably what we're seeing. You see a pattern here? It's interesting. It's just like the Bible said. And these protests are not constitutional when they get violent, when they threat other people, when they stop people from having their own freedoms, rights, liberties, the right to feel safe, while people just look on and let it happen. And the, the property damage and the taking over of places where people can't even get through there, these are, all, these are all things that can be challenged because they're promoting really the genocide of a people and they're causing absolute fright all around the world. And actual, these are actual hate crimes that we're ignoring. Um, although, you know, any, you know, you look funny at somebody and you can get, you know, taken down for a hate crime these days around the world. But nope, this is okay. And so we have to understand these things are happening and we must start securing the rights of Jews who have been told that they actually deserve the persecution they're receiving. And so, friends, fasten your truth belts as this week we continue to discuss Israel, the rights of the Jewish people to live securely. And last week, we discussed extensively how vital it is for Christians to recognize God's promises to his chosen people, Israel, and to support their right to live without fear in their own homeland. We went over the historical records that reveals that the land of Israel today is the ancestral land of the very same people God brought out of the land of Egypt to plant them in their own national homeland. It's the same people. And in fact, God promised them even more territory than they occupy today or that they occupied at the time. We saw in Deuteronomy 1, there's lots of other places where it says uh, Deuteronomy verse one, uh, 1 verse 6, the Lord our God spoke to us in Oreb saying, you have dwelt long enough in this mountain, turn and take your journey. And he says, Go to the mountains of the Amorites, to all the neighboring places, the plain, the mountains of all the lowland, the south, on the seacoast, to the land of the Canaanites, to Lebanon, as far as the great river Euphrates. See, I've set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them and to their descendants after them. And we found that this is an eternal gift. The land is theirs Forever, He kicked them. He's the, the land is mine, the Lord says, and he kicked them out for a while. He evicted them 
for a while, but he brought them back with great promises. And so Israel's not interested in conquering other lands. You see that as other faiths and empires have, such as Islam or Catholicism and even the expansion of the U.S. into native lands in North America. They're trying to actually make room for themselves among the family of nations by living within their original ancient footprint. That's all they're asking for. By the way, in 1979, a peace was forged between Israel and Egypt, and Egypt asked for the Sinai back because Israel had militarily conquered it in 1967 during that war when they were attacked again. <laughs> and they they kept the Sinai as a buffer because Egypt kept threatening them. But as they made the peace agreement, Egypt asked for the Sinai back as part of the agreement, but they told uh, Israel, go ahead and keep Gaza. We don't want it. And so they easily could have taken Gaza. I don't think Israel really wanted it either. But as long as it's theirs, they're going to govern it. They're going to watch over it. And somebody has to control those that are trying to kill them. And so moreover, Israel has already been forced by the international community to relinquish territory inside its borders. That includes their ancient cities, all found in the pages of the Bible. Cities like Hebron, which is Abram's original homestead, where he purchased land to buy uh, his wife, Sarah, the mother of Isaac, a, a grave site. And the land was bought with a deed and never sold. And it was bought to fulfill the promise that God made when he chose Isaac over Ishmael. We see this in Genesis seventeen eighteen. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee, right? Because Abraham... Um, bore Ishmael, not not certain that they would ever have a child, and he bore Ishmael with an Egyptian, interestingly. And he said, oh, I'm so tired, I'm so old, let's just let Ishmael be my son. And God said, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I blessed him, and I will make him fruitful, and I will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, which Sarah, your wife, shall bear to you at this time next year. And so um, we see that, that God made promises to Ishmael, and Arabs claim Ishmael as their patronage, and there they go. They have that. And we'll talk about the lands that they have. And yet Israel was promised a covenant. They were the covenant people, the covenant that would bring out the Messiah, that would receive the all the Bible, all the law, all of the prophecies came through Israel, and he gave them this covenant land forever. And so there's another city that's been relinquished by Israel under pressure, and that's Jericho. Y'all remember Jericho? Jericho is the most famous city to fall before the Lord as Israelites uh, journeyed on their exodus from Egypt into the land that God was giving them. Remember, they crossed over the Jordan River. First thing, they ran into Jericho, really, really big walled city. God had them circle it seven days in a row, seventh day, seven times. Then they gave a shout, and the walls fell in, and this was given to them. And it's all well-known and well-documented. By the way, they've even found archaeological evidence that the walls fell inward, (laughs) which is kind of interesting. And guess what? The international community forced Israel to give up Jericho within its own borders to the uh, Palestinian Authority. They had to give it up, even though it's a a piece of their history, a piece of their land. Bethlehem also, Bethlehem also has been surrendered, the birthplace of David and the Messiah for both Jews and Christians, and, and it's in Muslim hands. This is the faith that defies its beliefs, uh, defines its beliefs by cursing our gods. In Muslim hands, and God does not beget, and God is not begotten. This is their motto. 
And there, there they have Bethlehem in their hands. They don't believe that God begets or is begotten. And they've been entrusted with Yahweh's house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. Nazareth also is where Jesus grew up, once a small village, now a large Arab city, in the hands of those who would expunge the Son of Man from memory, right? Although there are some Christian Arabs there, thank goodness. Judea and Samaria, the whole Judea is Samaria in the northern kingdom of Israel. In 1967, they were once again attacked, and in the process of defining themselves, pushed back the attacking armies and retook their ancestral territory of Judea and Samaria. It's all over the Bible. But bitter resentment and Jew-hating world would never recognize Israel's right to live in this land. And to this day, over 50 years later, every map identifies the territory as occupied West Bank, not Judea and Samaria. The ancient names of the ancient lands, the ancient names are still there. But no, we don't, we don't acknowledge it 50 years, years later. And let's recall what hundreds of national boundaries have changed since the end of World War II, and they've all been acknowledged on our maps. The communist USSR swallowed up Eastern Europe, and they were uh, not mapped as disputed territories. They're all listed as the USSR until the late 90s. Yugoslavia and Czechoslovakia have broken after have broken apart after war. Africa's fought wars and territories all over. We see nations have changed uh, names and boundaries since World War II, and we've acknowledged all of them, right? It's just Israel, the acknowledged one and only national homeland of the Jews. That's the one they refuse to accept. After 50 years, they're still shunned by the international community, although they were once the ones that were attacked and the ones that had to take this territory on self-defense. They were attacked by Arab nations on every side, especially uh, ever since they were founded. And the Temple Mount, where the Islam's Dome of the Rock was built, 600 years after Israel had been expelled by Rome, it was built over the place of the Jewish temple had once stood. Islam's customary practice for symbolically conquering another land and faith. Muslims now claim that no temple ever stood there in spite of all the historical records, but in their own mosque erected on the very spot, it commemorates it by calling it the Dome of the Rock. And it recognizes that's where the temple had once stood. That's why they put it there. In Jerusalem, the eternal city of God, it bears the Jewish name. It means a city of peace. Yet the international community expects Israel's ancient capital city to be shared with Muslims who conquered it 600 years after Rome had taken Israel into its empire, 600 years after Jesus and after about 3,000 years after God brought Israel into the land out of Egyptian slavery. So they'd been there about 3,000 years. And so now, or 2,500 years before that. So now if you're tempted to agree with Muslims that once they conquer a land, it belongs to them forever, then here's what you'd have to also agree should return to the Muslim Arabs. We have to give back Spain, southern France, Sicily, Greece, Bulgaria, Romania, Hungary, and a few other Eastern European countries because they all at one time were in Muslim hands. However, just as with these lands who won their independence back after being conquered by Islam, Israel also won hers back. And that's how the maps should be made. And just as these countries are the national homeland for ethnic groups, right? Spain, Spanish people are from Spain. Greek people are from Greece, right? Um, Israel is the national homeland for the Jewish ethnic people. It's not the national homeland for Arabs who have many other countries. Here we go. Here's the national homeland for people of Arab descent. Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Iraq, Bahrain, Qatar, UAE, Syria, Lebanon, uh, Algeria, Jordan, Libya, Sudan, Kuwait, Yemen, Morocco, Oman, Tunisia, Maritana, and Djibouti. 
shouldn't we uh, shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't we as ask why those nations refused to accept the Palestinians and keep them safe? Why did Egypt and Jordan call this a red line for them and refuse to take them? Why not uh, help rescue their brothers? But all Jews only have one small ancient homeland, which is Israel. And from there, they were scattered around the world. And yet, if we try to deny there was ever an Israel, we contradict all the evidence otherwise. And so think about it. Jews around the world have a unique identity, faith, tradition, ancient language, sacred book, history, um, description of their location and historical native land. And it's covered in traditional Jewish, Jewish sites verified by histories around the world, outside cultures, nations, and conquerors. They all recognize the history of Israel, a land that still has traditional Jewish names that remain verified by all these extra-biblical texts. Jews have existed around the world as this distinct people group for over 2,000 years. What other explanation can be given for these shared identities if they did not actually have an ancestral homeland? And so we can't ignore these things. We can't ignore that they came from one people group. And so we must remember that God promised to bring them back in the land, and we need to honor that promise. And as we look at um, the prophecies in uh, Isaiah 51, he said that he will put the cup of trembling and judgment back into the hands of those who persecuted Israel. The ones that said, you have laid your body down on the ground and we want to walk over it. And that, that's what they're doing, just as God prophesied. And he will return the judgment back on their own heads. Let us be found walking and standing with Israel, the only place where Jews can have a national homeland in the whole world. And we're just going to pray for them. And so next time we're going to talk about uh, what Jesus said, that when the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled, we'll take a look at how the prophecies will unroll from this point forward with God's plan for Israel. He's not finished with them yet. Until next time, God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.